Last Sunday, we learned about faith of Joseph, the human stepfather of Jesus. Today, we will study about the faith of Mary, human mother of Jesus, not stepmother. Unlike Joseph, Mary has a biological, organic relationship with Jesus, just like any mother to a child. Before we begin, I haven't done this for a long time. Let me give you a pop quiz. Everybody close your eyes, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Close your eyes. Don't look at anybody, okay? Only I know, you know, and God and Satan knows. But anyway, doesn't matter. Close your eyes. How many of you think that Immaculate Conception, Immaculate Conception, if you don't know it, don't, don't be bothered. Immaculate Conception is the same thing as a virgin birth. Only those who don't think Immaculate Conception is the same thing as a virgin birth, raise your hand. Only those who don't think Immaculate Conception is the same thing as a virgin birth, raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Okay. Raise your hand. Can you raise it? Okay, that's all you raise your hand. All right. Thank you. Open your eyes. All right. Immaculate conception means Mary was born as a sinless and perfect human being. Immaculate conception originated not from the Bible, but from Roman Catholic tradition to defy Mary. While the early Christians revered Mary as a mother of God, and the Greek word for that is theotokos, theotokos. And uh, it did not mean to exalt Mary, but actually it meant to adore divine humility of Christ, who came to save and transform us for good as one of us. And Immaculate Conception became a Roman Catholic dogma in 1854, is pretty relatively modern recognition. Protestants like us, or dissenting Catholics, we confess the virgin birth of Christ, not immaculate conception of Mary. Are we clear? I want everyone to know basic Christian orthodoxy. While all Christians in history confess and confirm Mary as a mother of God, Theotokos is not about the Christ's divinity, but his humanity. Divinity of Christ did not come from Mary. You know, Han is, we have a missionary. Han, would you stand since, you know, we have so many newcomers? It's all right, stand, stand, please. You know, Han worked in the, okay, he's a short, but he's taller than that. Han is a, Han, Han worked in the northern Iraq with the Kurdish people, you know, over eight years and still does. And uh, Han actually told me this, that the uh, Muslims, this is why Muslims, you know, Muslims, you know, they, uh, they mistook Theotokos uh, is that? Uh, as a Mary creating son of God. As a result, they see Trinity as a God the Father, God the Mother, and Jesus God the Son. And that's why Muslims disparage Christians to be uh, polytheists. Mary did not create the Son of God, simply contributed to his incarnation and humanity. Biblically speaking, Mary is not divine, but a great disciple. So we don't hail Mary, 
but we hold deep respect for her faith and obedience to God's calling. I like what the uh, discipleship ministry of a United Methodist Church said about Mary. Mary is the first disciple. Mary became a living channel of grace for the world. God became a flesh, lived among us through Mary. God's mission became possible because Mary's faith and her selfless participation. Because of Mary, we know that grace became flesh and God, grace broke into history in the world God loves. I like the expression, Mary, the first disciple. Mary teaches us what it means to follow God faithfully. With that, let's read our text today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and let's, let's read it responsibly. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to hear and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give a birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendant forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Together, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Flower falls, grass withers, but the word of God lasts forever. Today I want to share with you the three D's of a faith from Mary, the first disciple. By the way, what does the expression 3D remind you of? Many of you think about 3D printing. I intentionally chose three Ds. These 3D describe unpopular works that migrant people are hired to do. And these three Ds of a migrant people's jobs are dirty, dangerous, and demeaning. To some degree, Mary experienced three Ds of a life as a mother and follower of Jesus. So let me give you the first three Ds about today's story. These are the outline. Disruption, discovery, and dedication. When we understand and embrace disruption and discovery and dedication, we can also follow God faithfully and fulfill our life calling. So, today's story begins, uh, start right after Elizabeth's pregnancy. Look at the verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Nazareth, 
and to a virgin named Mary. Who was Elizabeth? She was an old relative of Mary, wife of Zachariah, in the previous story of Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth also experienced a supernatural conception for a son, and her pregnancy was six months ahead of Mary's. However, there is a big difference between these two pregnancies. Elizabeth was old and barren. She definitely had a need. Her pregnancy actually means deliverance. Deliverance from her deep shame and lifelong pain of infertility. In contrast, Mary had no need of a pregnancy at all. She's a virgin. You know, we all know, you know, virgin pregnancy, what pregnancy means to a virgin, especially one who betrothed. Mary's pregnancy means a disruption, destruction of our normal happy life as a betrothed virgin. Mary was about to be branded as an unfaithful, promiscuous adulteress, as we learned from Joseph's silent Christmas last week. Key word in today's story is actually angel, which appeared five times. The next one is a virgin, three times, verse 26, 27, and 34. Birth announcement of virgin was more than interruption. It was disruption. Do you know the difference between interruption and disruption? Interruption means stopping in the middle of something. Whereas a disruption is more than interruption. It actually means more than uh, stopping. It's actually disarray, disorientation, confusion, chaos. And verse 29 said, Mary was uh, greatly troubled at his word. Why? Now, why does God disrupt our life? Mary is not only one who was disrupted by God. Do you know God disrupts everyone? All of us? God disrupts us because God wants to bless us. While disruption itself is hard and fearful, God's disruption ultimately for our great honor and fulfillment. How do you know God's disruption is good? Because God is good. By the way, disruption is not Always a problem. Some disruptions are good. If a disruptor has good reasons. You know, question of disruption always depends on who disrupts you and why. If a police disrupts you while you're driving, that's not good. I hope no one be disrupted by police during this you know, Christmas season. But if God disrupts you, you know, this is really good. So when the angel disrupted Mary, betrothed virgin with approaching wedding, look at today's story. Gabriel, angel Gabriel was not apologetic at all. You know, he didn't say, oh, Mary, can I have a, a moment with you? I'm sorry. I know you're busy with uh, your very important, you know, wedding plan. I know that's the most important event in your life. Just, just, just a few seconds. He wasn't coy or apologetic at all. Gabriel was ecstatic, enthusiastic about his announcement because God is good and his will for Mary and for us is better than anything we plan or hope. So look at the, the angel's positive word. The first thing that came out of his mouth was, you are highly favored. 
You have, you have found favor with God. Literally, you are graced by God. Child you give a birth will be great, will be called the son of the Most High, and he will reign forever and save the world. Angel Gabriel today tells us, when God disrupts us, it is his holy purpose. And God's holy purpose is our good. And I also bear the same witness. Without God's disruption, I don't think I'll be here today. If God didn't disrupt my life, I wouldn't be a, not even a believer, let alone pastor, or even pastor of a forest. It is God's gracious disruption in my life. I am who I am. And God's disruption might be hard, but it'll make us a holier and happier at the end. So therefore, a faithful, wise disciple welcomes God's disruption. Do you welcome God's disruption? You know, Dietrich, uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer agrees with me on this uh, grace of uh, divine disruption. So in his book, The Life Together, that one that we gave to the people who are baptized as well as the, uh, our shepherds, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our path and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions, especially during Christmas season. So be aware. We may pass them by preoccupied with our more important task as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among the thieves, perhaps reading the Bible. He's talking about the parable of a good Samaritan. It is a strange fact that Christians, even ministers, frequently consider their work so important and urgent they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God's service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's, I love this expression, crooked yet straight path. You know, God's way looks crooked to our sinner's eye, selfish sinner's eye, but actually, it's crooked because we are selfish, but actually it's straight. It's straight. It is part of discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service. And that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be arranged by God. So here is application number one. Be open to God with your schedule. You know, I didn't mean that give up your scheduling or planning. Have a schedule. Make a plan with a good priority. But at the same time, make sure you have a room for God's disruption. Because it is not we, but God who is the Lord of the life. Amen? He knows how to make your life, my life, better than anyone else. Being a disciple means be ready for disruption and use it for God's glory. On that note, I want to thank God for especially the God's answer to new you know, shepherds in our church. Since we moved you know, early summer, we've been, grow we, we, we've been growing. And uh, we, you know, several house churches are maxed out. They have more than 15 people meeting every week. And uh, so by grace of God, you know, six people stood up as a, a shepherd. So let me call out. I mean, some of them is, you know, uh, Sarah Ku Yang Hong. Are you here? 
Okay, they are serving the children, right? So they are, they are, they are double duty. Okay, they are doing a double duty. Chris, Chris, Chris and Christy Kim. All right, Christy, would you stand? Okay. And Jonathan Ko and Hejin Lee. All right, please. All right. Thank God. Actually, many of them doing a, a, a double, triple duties in the church. But I want to tell you, they welcome the disruption of God. And then I will pray, and we will all support that God will give them wisdom and make their schedule, you know, quality and uh, give them extra strength and uh, health. Now, let's see how Mary responded to God's disruption. She was not only shocked, but puzzled. Look at the verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Mary was honest and confessed her struggle to understand God's miracle and mystery. Here, we must recognize an important fact in Luke chapter 1. When angel announced the miracle birth, first to Zechariah and to Mary, both had a doubt, right? Both had a doubt. And this is an important fact. Doubt is a part of faith and part of being a human. You know, once I heard Philip Yancey, a well-known Christian writer, in his interview saying this, quote, Doubt is something almost every person experiences at some point. Yes, some, something that church does not always handle well. I'm an advocate of a doubt because that's why I became a Christian in the first place. I'm also impressed that Bible includes so many examples of doubt. Evidently, God has a more tolerance of a doubt than most churches. I want to encourage those who doubt and also encourage church to be a place that rewards rather than punishes honest doubt. Inquisitiveness and questioning are inevitable parts of a life of a faith. Amen? Inquisitiveness and the questioning are inevitable part of life of a faith. Actually, if you don't have a doubt in your faith, I think something is wrong with your faith. Something is you are so blindsided or so cocky or so confident, you are almost committing so-called the sin of a certainty. You know, the claim of God it's so huge, it creates a doubt of many people who want to follow God. You know? So Yancy, you know, added, finally said, I encourage people not to doubt alone. That's a great wisdom. Find some safe doubt companion. Doubt together. That's number one. Number two, also doubt their doubt. Doubt your doubt as much as your faith. And it doesn't simply, and then he said, don't deny doubt or feel guilty about doubt itself. Many people in the Bible, they've been down in the past before have emerged with a strong faith. So Luke chapter 1, we see two kinds of doubt, a bad doubt and good doubt. Zechariah's doubt was a bad. Why? It was self-enclosed. Look at the verse 18 to 20. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure about this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Can you, can you sense that angel was offended here? The way, and now you will be silent 
You know, I don't want to hear any word from you. That's what Andrew was saying. And not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. And which will come true at their appointed time. According to Gabriel, Zacharias' doubt came from unbelief. Unbelief of what? Zacharias' question and doubt ignored one of the most famous miracle stories in the Old Testament. What is that? The birth of Isaac. When Abraham and Sarah were 100 years old and 90 years old. If Zachariah were the first old man to have a son, his doubt could be justified. But he wasn't. He had a famous role model of a miracle, miraculous childbirth at old age. That's Abraham, the father of faith and the, 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 the ancestor of a nation of Israel. In contrast to, you know, Zachariah's ignorant, illegitimate question, Virgin Mary's question is a valid because there's no precedent about virgin birth. There's no story in the Bible that a virgin gave a birth to a child before Mary and after Mary. There was only one virgin birth in the Bible, in the history. By the way, Angel Gabriel was ticked off by Zacharias' unbelief. And what did he do? He punished him by making him a temporary mute. I think Angel Gabriel made a, is making an angelic comedy here. Because can you imagine the old Zachariah trying to consummate with his old wife without any verbal communication, but only with uh, you know, uh, gestures, you know? He came home from Jerusalem, and now he has a good news. They're going to have a baby. How are they going to do it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're Elizabeth, how are you going to respond? Yeah, I love you. What? What is that? You have a, you do, your shoulder is hurting? What? You're, why are you touching me? Why are you taking off my, you know, I'm cold. What? What, what is this? You know, honey, what happened to you in temple? Can you imagine that Gabriel, you know, that Zachariah's struggle? And I bet Angel Gabriel is uh, laughing in heaven, watching this earthly comedy. Man alive, Zach, you are really bad at charading. <laughs> you know, you're going to get this, you know. One day I'm going to write a book entitled The Biblical Comedy or Comedy in the Bible. And there are so many, including this one. You know, Mary honestly questions the angel, and Gabriel answered kindly. So angel answered, Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She was, also, she was said to be unable to conceive. Now she's in six months of pregnancy. Just like Later, Joseph was told that virgin birth was not a sexual, but a creative act of the Holy Spirit. Mary learned that the Holy Spirit will do that. Gabriel also gave extra evidence of God's promise with the birth news of Elizabeth. And before we go to see Mary's final response, I want us to recognize the significance and truthfulness of a miracle of a virgin birth in the Bible. 
But then let me introduce you a very important evangelical theologian and biblical scholar named uh, John Gresham Machen. John Gresham Machen was a professor at Princeton Theological Seminaries in 1920s. You know, by the time many seminaries and divinity schools in America, including Princeton Theological Seminary, were infected or influenced by European liberal theology, which denies all the miracles in the Bible, including virgin birth. And the Princeton Theological Seminary is the same thing happened. It's amazing because just 40 years ago, Princeton Theological Seminary was the home of evangelical theology of America. Charles Hart, Benjamin Warfield, these are the fathers of today's evangelical churches and our theology. And the less than 40 years, Princeton became a heretical school. Seriously. So, uh, John Gresham Machen, uh, Machen, he tried to really reform Princeton, but it didn't work out. So he left the school and founded another Presbyterian school, our south of Princeton, and it's called the Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Now, John Machen wrote a book called The Virgin Birth of Christ, and there he made this very important uh, uh, statement. Two elements of a Christian truth belong logically together, logically together. The supernatural person of our Lord belongs logically with his redemptive work. In another word, who Jesus is and what he does cannot be separated. The person and work of Christ always go together. The virgin birth belongs logically with the cross. Whether one aspect is given up, the other will not logically remain. When one is accepted, the, the other will naturally be accepted too. There may be a halfway position for time. He's talking about liberal theology. But they are un, in unstable equilibrium, will no longer be maintained. And then Machen pointed out an important historical biblical fact about virgin birth. That is, Mary was the first skeptic about virgin birth. <laughs> Mary herself did not believe it at first. It was inconceivable to Mary. Thus, virgin birth cannot be invented or fabricated by Mary or any other you know, human being. It is an act of God that surprised everyone, including the virgin mother of Mary. Amen? So application two. Be willing, to, be willing to learn. Doubting is a natural. When it comes for us, the final human being, to deal with the infinite ways and wisdom of God, doubting is a given. We don't see as God sees. But if we are patient and willing to learn, God is kind enough to teach us. Amen? So beginning of the year, I hope many of you take our homegrown curriculum, you know, in Good Shepherd College classes. Finally, let's see Mary's ultimate response. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then angel left her. Here we're learning about dedication. When Mary said yes to God, we must remember she was at the same time saying no to everyone else, especially her own family and loved ones. This is an audacious, radical yes. 
because of Mary's yes, denies everyone else's authority and reputation, even our desires and dreams. We must remember at the time, marriage was a much tighter social contract than today. You know, today, men and women, they like, they can even elope. Parents, they don't need a parents, right? Back then, fathers arranged the marriage with the exchange of a dowry and gifts. Bible doesn't say much about Mary's immediate family, but Mary's dedication to God's calling today totally emptied her father's authority, not just over her, but over her sisters. And Mary had her sisters, according to the Bible. And much more, it ruined the Mary's father's reputation in a small town like uh, Nazareth. Who's going to give a da- you know, daughter to, you know, I mean, son to the, Mar- Mary, the son you know, their son to Mary's, you know, sisters or father's daughters. Mary's father lost a credibility in his community. He would be infinitely socially distrusted and almost disgusted when his betrothed daughter became pregnant with someone else's child other than her husband. I just want to highlight today the other people affected by Mary's decision and dedication. Of course, Mary also took the greatest risk of all. Just briefly, you know, Mary could be accused and condemned and executed as adulteress. And while Joseph suffered, uh, you know, a broken heart by Mary's alleged, you know, adultery, Mary could suffer from literal breaking of a body by stoning. Mary had to deny herself. Just on that note, later Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, 23, Whoever wants to be my disciple, what do they have to do first? Deny yourself, take up cross, and follow me. And Mary did that. And I want to tell you this. Hardest part of self-denial is not denying your own you know, comfort or well-being or even your desires and your plan. Denying your loved ones, dreams, and needs. That is the hardest part about dedication. Yeah. Seriously. You know, when I responded to my God's call for full-time ministry, first thought came to my mind is my parents. Because there are not many, you know, Korean parents send their kids from South America to American college. I was their financial investment. I supposed to graduate and then make a good living so that I can pay back or, you know, at least make them proud. All of a sudden, I'm going to seminary. It was a hard. It was a hard for my father. It was not hard for me. I already, you know, made up my mind. It was very, very hard to my father. At the time, he wasn't Christian. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. And the amazing thing is, when Mary said, Yes, Lord, I am nothing but your servant. You know, this 13, 14 years old peasant girl, probably didn't graduate from high school, cannot probably pass as, you know, cannot, whatever. She made a best statement about herself. My foremost identity is a servant of the Lord. What is your number one identity in life? Mary might be young, uneducated, poor, but she got the first identity right. 
And for that, she became a blessed, the most blessed woman of all human history. Now, according to church tradition, this is a precise moment when Mary conceived Jesus. When she received God's blessed announcement from angel, and then she received it with a faith and surrender, Mary became a mother of God. Now let me bring a conclusion. Bible tells us that every follower of Christ has a Holy Spirit also within us. That means Holy Spirit still impregnates God's people with Jesus. In fact, you know, verse 35, when Luke said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the Greek verb for that, later used in the Acts chapter 1-8, when Jesus said, you shall have a power and be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So, as we learned, some of you learned in the Cornerstone Bible study, the ultimate mission of the Holy Spirit is to get us close to Jesus and understand His Word and fall in love with Him and become like Him. The question I have for all of us, is a Jesus growing in us? Is a Jesus growing in you? Metaphorically speaking, am I birthing Christ to the world? As Mary bore Christ into the world, we bear him in our heart. Like Mary, God comes to us with assurance that nothing is impossible with God. So with Christ in us, our fears and anxiety about the future are overcome. With God's help, we live as a Christ representative in the world. And Mary's song, which one day we'll learn, becomes our song. I want to uh, uh, read uh, one more quote. This is one of my favorite uh, Roman Catholic uh, theologian, uh, modern theologian named uh, Hans van Bartha. And he's also a great student of Karl Barth. He said this, We are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of a divine son takes place unceasingly but does not take place within myself? And then what good is it is to me if Mary is full of grace if I'm not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the Creator to give a birth to His Son if I do not also give birth to Him in my time and culture. This is the fullness of time when Son of Man is begotten in us. And I want to read uh, again. I want to close today's sermon with uh, you know discipleship ministries uh, quote of uh, United States United Methodist Church said this: Mary is a model of church as a people of God who are called to be Christ bearers in this world. Each baptized Christian is chosen and called by God to be like Mary. When we look at Mary, we see that God wants Christ to grow and to be seen in each one of us. As a Christ is born in your heart, you bear him in the world and offer Christ to others. That is what it means to be follower of Christ. That is what Mary showed us, and that's what we are dedicating today on Christmas Sunday, let us be Christ bearers to each other. Let's pray.